Guys, we write about stuff on the internet. True. Okay? And if you do that job, there's definitely one, there's one truism, one axiom that's been burned into your brain, and that is don't read the comments. Don't ever do it. However, though, I propose an addendum to the rule. Okay. I would love to read some more comments about the Pro Se podcast. You know why we would love to read those comments? Because when you leave comments, it helps other people find the show. It pushes us up in search results. It makes it so that more people find the Pro Se podcast because you love it. But we would like other people to love it, too. It also makes me feel really good, which is anathema to what internet comments usually do That's for true. people. Yes. So, yeah, if you like our show, you want to hear us continue to do this forever and ever, please leave us a five-star review and a written review. It's that written part that really helps us out a lot. And now, on to the show. Welcome to Pro Se, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my great co-hosts, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hi. You guys are always thrilled great. when I give you a compliment <laughs> right are, up top. We are great. Hello. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's like any deviation, especially if it's a nice thing to say, is <laughs> yeah. like really uh, throwing us for a loop. I uh, just want to say happy Halloween, guys. This uh, is my favorite holiday. Halloween today. Spookiest it's, day of the year. Yeah. It won't be Halloween by the time you're listening, uh, everyone out there. Um, funny how that works. But uh, uh, it's weird because like Halloween's like the there's like there is a season that precedes Halloween. Sure. But like as soon as it's over, like we're, oh, in, yeah. we're, we're in a new month and it's like feels alien. But, well, but Christmas is the same way. I mean, the day after Christmas, it feels a little odd to be watching Christmas movies. I don't know about that. I mean, yeah. like you're it's it's lingering. It's in the air a little bit. You, people leave the tree up, you know, every like that. year the um, Christmas creep gets more and more. Like, well, that's true. Like I think the Hallmark, you know, which well-known for their Christmas movies. Mm -hmm. uh, they started airing them this month. Like, I think it was like last week. So that's very early. Anyway, it's Halloween today, uh, indisputably. Uh, and I just wanted, I, I circulated this in the group chat before we got in. Uh, did you guys get a chance to watch the Kim Kardashian as Elle Woods oh, from Legally Blonde? I sure did. And I think <laughs> I had a distinctly different take on it than you fellas. Well, my... My brain is kind of like poisoned from online in that whenever I see something, I'm always waiting for some kind of absurd joke or meme to yeah. come out of it. Yeah. And this is basically just like a shot for shot remake of it her is. as the doing the I, doing the uh, application video. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's value neutral to me. My feeling is we see pictures of celebrities in these elaborate costumes yes. every year. Yeah, yeah. This ups the game. Now they need to get, deliver us multimedia. She, multimedia, and she's in multiple looks that's of true. one character. Of one costume, or so, one character, yes. So that's very impressive to me. I would like to see this from more celebrities. And she's all she's a law student herself now. I don't know. I don't know if that canard is still I don't know going. What the on. Yeah, I don't know. Is, I yeah. guess I shouldn't. I shouldn't report no, I think on she's things still I don't doing know it. about. But yeah. Well, we'll check back in when that's appropriate. Um, we have an interesting show today. No guest. Uh, just three of us batting around the news. Yep. <laughs> classic, classic <laughs> stuff by us. Uh, where should we start? Should I start? Yes. Go ahead. I'll start. Uh, okay. So. Uh, earlier this month, there was a really interesting trial um, that went on in Philly, uh, Philadelphia federal court um, that involved uh, an $8 billion uh, damages uh, verdict against uh, a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson. It was a product liability case. Now, that's a huge story uh, in its own right, but um, that was earlier in October. This week, um, got some even more fireworks um, in the case uh, when 
there was uh, basically some allegations by J&J's counsel that the judge was sort of biased against them and that he should recuse himself from the case. And the judge responded to those uh, accusations pretty pretty forcefully this week. It's always very interesting when you... You've gotten to the point where you're like, you know what, the, you know what the play is. We're just gonna like, we're gonna go after the judge. Yeah. That's that's our move here. <laughs> like things things have gotten bad if that's where you're at. Yeah. Well, but we actually see it fairly frequently. Well, that's at least thing. for people like us that are watching the news, the legal news all the time. Yeah, I mean, pe- there are various reasons why people ask the judge to recuse his or herself, both in good and bad faith. Yeah. Um, but this this one has got really. Testy. So just to sort of set the scene here, like I said, the uh, the company who um, was on the hook for this enormous $8 billion uh, damages verdict as we sit here now is a subsidiary of J&J called Janssen Pharmaceuticals. And the, the claim at trial was that they um, sort of ignored and downplayed the side effects of the antipsychotic drug Risperdal as it sort of um, amped up its efforts to market the, market the drug for children. Um, and so, like I said, they, they uh, lost at trial, $8 billion verdict. Um, and then uh, a couple of weeks later, attorneys uh, for the company accused the judge, uh, Judge Kenneth Powell, um, of basically like sort of throughout the, uh, in, in the run-up to the trial and during the trial, issuing a number of what they considered to be sort of biased rulings against them, which you would expect. I mean, they, they're pretty unhappy with how the case went, yeah. so they would say and that. That's, and that's pretty standard after That's a pretty trial. normal, right? I mean, uh, in the context of trying to get people kicked off case. Um, but then they also said that the judge exhibited, this is a quote, partisan glee, uh, and that they observed him uh, high-fiving jurors after the verdict and uh, taking pictures with them. Partisan glee, a new uh, new television show coming from uh, from Fox. It's about- <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say uh, a new uh, music artist providing music for, for Pro Se, um, which kind of sounds- that, 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 that fits in there with yeah. Silent well, Partner, Partisan Glee. So, I, I mean, if the judge was in fact doing that, that is- pretty um extreme i mean mm-hmm. you don't see judges interacting with juries in this way yeah. so um what happened after that i mean i'm sure the judge had some stuff to say they, yeah they so they asked him they asked judge powell to recuse himself um and he uh, this week sort of um came out sort of very forcefully against that um the the lawyer for uh for jansen the the j&j company is uh, david abernathy of drinker biddle and reef basically reiterated these complaints about the judge uh, and then Powell just kind of laid into him with this. He said, you lost the case, period. And he's banging the desk for emphasis as he's saying this. It was not tried well. And if you don't know that, then I don't think you're the lawyer I thought you were. Wow. Uh, so that tough. Yeah, that guy said and it didn't stop there. Um, so regarding the sort of specific is that that's sort of a general comment regarding the specific allegations that he was sort of. I don't know, cavorting in, you know, gleeful, 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 partisan, partisan nature, glee of a partisan nature with the (laughs) jurors. He said, quote, that is fabrication and that is disingenuous. Um, He went even a step further. He said that um, the he found the allegations so incendiary that um, he suggested disciplinary action. Uh, for Abernathy and the other lawyers who signed affidavits sort of backing up his oh, account. Mm. Their names are Ethel Johnson of Morgan Lewis and Bacchus and John Winter of Patterson, Belknap, Webb, and Tyler. Um, as he said, so they had sort of said, like, yes, we observed this bad yeah, behavior yeah. by the judge. And the judge said, they're inaccurate and are something that have to be looked at for disciplinary issues and future pro hoc vice because they're just not accurate. It's an escalation. Yeah, you can know, try to kick me <laughs> off the case. Well, I have some thoughts. Yeah, uh, but so where does this leave us now? Well, like I said, there is this is 
we're talking about this because it's very unusual and interesting. There is still the matter of this $8 billion verdict that's hanging over the company. Yeah, no small thing there. Uh, yeah, um, n- no small. F- it's it's a very kind of complicated case that we won't fully get into here. We'll see where the case goes. But um, the plaintiff is a man who says he took Risperdal when he was uh, nine years old to treat his uh, autism symptoms. Um, and in the course of taking the drug, he um, actually grew breasts um, as a side effect and that this was a side effect that... Uh, the company kind of knew about and uh, concealed as it sort of ramped up the drug. Um, he won only a very small uh, verdict, uh, uh, like a six-figure damages ruling at an initial phase of the trial. Okay. There was then um, sort of a separate state court action that allowed the company to pursue punitive damages, which sort of, which sort of compelled the judge to pull them into this um, very large case that had to do with um, not just the uh, action against this one plaintiff, but sort of making a, a, a judgment on Janssen's business practices on a, on a, on a global level, really. And that, that, is, that is at the root of what they say, you know, the judge had sort of been biased against them. Mm-hmm. And they said, this is not the case that we were trying to try, and you kind of, you know, ran over us on this. So we'll see where all that goes. And like we say, um, a lot of these big product liability verdicts can be trimmed for various reasons. Especially when it's $8 billion. Yeah. That, that, that- doesn't seem likely to be the final right. number. And whether it's by the actual uh, court, by, by the actual judge, um, who doesn't seem too happy uh, in this case, or by an appeals court, we'll see what happens to that number if it gets pared down. But um, whatever, whatever comes to pass, it's certainly traveling uh, a considerably rockier path. Also facing a rocky uh, path ahead is Taylor Swift, who... You know, I just I love that you just went with that transition. Sure, right. I mean segues—they're one of my specialties. Sure. You know? she, um, what's going on yeah. with T Swift? Uh, so she was. Uh, so the Ninth Circuit ruled this week. The federal appellate court ruled that um, she would have to continue facing a lawsuit that had been dismissed last year, claiming that she ripped off the lyrics for "Shake It Off" from <laughs> a. I said that's sort of weird. Uh, from an earlier, from a 2001 song about. Players and haters. Uh, I, I love this already. The, the nature of players and the nature of hating them at the core of this lawsuit. Yes. Right. Very, very interesting <laughs> yes. stuff. So what's going on? So uh, back uh, in 2017, Swift was sued for copyright infringement by these two songwriters, Sean Hall and Nathan Butler. They wrote a song that came out in 2001 called Players Gone Play uh, that was released. It was re- It's sort of like a... Destiny's Child style band called 3LW. I don't know if people remember. I, I mean, I, I certainly remember 3LW. Sure. It was, it was 3LW, Black with a Q-U-E. Oh, yeah. They were uh-huh. in there. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a, that was like a halcyon times for uh, R&B girl groups. Sure. So um, the lawsuit claimed that the, the lyrics in the chorus of Shake It Off, which I'm sure everyone still remembers, uh, that... that they, they were, uh, you know, very, very similar to the lyrics that were in the chorus of uh, Play Is Gonna Play. We have some clips here that producer Steve's going to put on for us. So first we're going to listen to the 3LW song. So there's I that. We all remember this all day. Real this middle great. school dance vibes. Yeah, it is. Yes. Um, and then uh, again, you probably remember, but here's this uh, is this is perfunctory. But shake we it all, off. Yeah. Shake it off. 
The real revelation of this uh, story this week for me has been remembering that Shake It Off, kind of a banger. I don't know why you. Okay, you, you why said this would to, you ever forget that? Yeah, you said this to me in the chat, like it was some kind of. Uh, I feel like I, I, I'm not like you know. Okay, 1989 is a great album. It had a lot of great hits. Yeah, it did. And I mean, that's like to me, that's the zenith of Taylor Swift's career. Whether you love her or hate her, there's at least one song in that album you like. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. the issue for me is that I don't love her or hate her. I'm just sort of. Oh, you're Taylor Swift neutral. Yeah. Huh. So anyway, um, uh, okay. they're definitely similar. I mean, they have similar words. I mean, those so those same set yeah. of words were there. Um, but the case uh, got tossed at some point? It got tossed last year. So like so many copyright lawsuits, the issue is not always whether two things are similar. It's whether the person who's claiming a copyright actually has any rights to enforce. Mm-hmm. Um, so the judge here ruled that, this, that these lyrics in question were just not – original enough they were not creative enough they were not the kind of like creative expression that copyright law was designed to protect um th- th- there's sort of this long-standing thing that like quote short phrases are not subject to copyright it's yeah. this, it's you know that they're and, and then you look at these short phrases in particular and there was this sort of uh you know a long list of I- included in the ruling of other places where players and haters had been you love it I really like that the there's culture. a list. Yeah. That's so good. Well, it's a tautology. What sure. players are going to play and so haters guys, are, going, they to are hate. going to hate. I'm glad yeah. that we're talking about this because I do happen to have some of these. Oh, oh he's, got, he's got a document, folks. Yeah. Uh, so there was Players Ball uh, sure. in 1993 by Outcast. Yeah. There was Play a Playa by Big Mike in 94. Yeah. These are all from a court document, by the way. They were referenced by the judge when he made this ruling. Uh, there was uh, Play a Hata in 1995 by Luniz. Yeah. Um, which he actually included the lyrics. So players, haters hate me. Uh, so yeah, uh, there was play a hater by uh, by <laughs> Big in '97. <laughs> uh, See how common it it's is. Common. They all blend together. The, yeah. There was hater players in '98 by Blackstar. <laughs> really, really, really playing with the with the form there. Don't hate the player in '99 by Ice T. Ice T. Yeah. Seminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then don't hate the player in 2000 by Too Short. I don't really remember that one. Yeah. Great. Um, but so it was in the. It was. Th- this is not exactly an original idea. I want to get um, an interview with the clerk who compiled this. Yes, list for the I judge. agree. Uh, well, so it w- no, it was so it was submitted as a. Thing that they wanted, and this will come up again in a few minutes. But uh, a thing that they wanted, they noticed the judge of the. the oh, I see. Yeah. I the, see. The Swift yeah. attorney said, "Look at all this stuff that because this was a motion to dismiss, it Makes was sense. on the complaint." So, aha. Uh-huh. So anyway, uh, so what? So what happened this week? Where where, where are we at here? <laughs> Produce a different document that doesn't have. <laughs> Players, Pl- players and haters and hate- in it. That's not replete with players and haters. <laughs> so the court basically said this week that they they didn't really dispute the that. These I, these concepts like that you know that copyright maybe doesn't cover this stuff or maybe doesn't what they said was it was the decision was made too quickly uh, that it was a procedural faux pas that this is a uh, you know a question of the attorneys out there will understand this that that it's a question of fact that you know that's not the kind of question that that a judge is supposed to be deciding that's the kind of thing that goes to a to a jury mm-hmm. or you know you decide it later in the case when there's undisputed facts and we can rule on it here in a motion to dismiss. That was too soon to make that kind of decision. And they also very notably referenced a 1903 ruling by uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes. Wow. Uh, that, that said, <laughs> it said the, um, it's dangerous for judges to sort of substitute their 
analysis here because they're not trained in art. They're only trained in, in law. So when you're doing something like this, it's, it's a dangerous situation for a judge to be uh, – to I would be, wait. That's pretty before great. You it was like get it's, it's very dangerous. Into this, sure. I would just like to point out something from the document we have in front of us. Sure, sure, sure. We have some notes when we come into the podcast room, and inside the mind of Bill Donahue, in talking about how quick it was, there is a parenthetical that says "so swiftly," if you will. <laughs> wow, it's great. I, look, I Couldn't I let made that go by. I made the game time decision not to say I, it. I was going to say that. <laughs> love it. That's why I was not going to let that go. Too swiftly about it. Yes. So good. Okay. Uh, well, where are we at on this? Like, it's a kind of a weird little uh, trick yeah, of the so, law. What, what, what are people saying? So here? the ruling sends it back to a trial court, which will now have to decide these things. I think if you, you know, you really put a gun to someone's head, they'd say like, well, it's probably going to get tossed out again. It's just going to be later on in the case. It'll but, just take longer. Right. Yeah. It, it allows for the case to sort of develop a little bit more. Um, the, I talked to some some of my copyright folks after this ruling came out, and people were sort of like confused by by the ruling. Um you, it, what's weird is that they, the, it was a very sort of dogmatic, hard line on judges can't make these kind of decisions mm-hmm. because, yes, it is this kind of question of whether or not something is original enough to be to be covered by copyright is a fact question. But these facts weren't in dispute here, and that's the kind of thing that judges can and do decide all the time on their own. That um, there was this list here, and as I mentioned earlier, this was put before the judge, yeah. and th- neither side opposed it. That mm. the the plaintiffs here said that's fine, you can look at it. So, you know, these things. It wasn't like the judge was saying like these don't seem like things that could be covered. Like, yeah. They were saying, look, there's all this other, there's all these other uses of it. It's just not original. It's not a thing that should be covered by copyright. So they were like, they basically said, Oliver Wendell Holmes, you're you're busted. You're 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 in way over your head on this stuff. Yeah, that was good. That was great. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, but the, the other thing too is that like we've seen so many copyright lawsuits against like over popular songs recently. Yeah. There was the Katy Perry case. There was the Blurred Lines case. Mm-hmm. There's so. It's a situation where every time something like this comes up and the court rules on like it, – because it, it is very procedural and it's sort of a wonky thing. Like I, I, I was sort of worried about like unpacking it here on the show. But it's a – You did great. These kind of questions are, are a big deal when it comes to, you know, will this incentivize other people to bring more cases? Will it uh, – if you make it more difficult to toss these cases earlier, it incentivizes people to settle these cases when they're brought against big, big labels and big musicians and – you know the 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 big boogeyman that is always trotted out here is that maybe this will cause people to be overly cautious about what kind of songs they're writing, and because yeah. everyone's just afraid of getting sued for copyright infringement, and that's so. So that's the kind of stuff that when you see a, a situation like this where, you know, it's these basic little fragments of sentences that are that are subject yeah. here. Um, you worry that that it, you're you're starting to um, make people overly cautious about what kind of songs they're going to write. Guys, I could talk about Taylor Swift forever, but I do have a third and final story for us to discuss today. Okay. This one's about Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. What's going on with him? So BuzzFeed has been trying to get a bunch of uh, documents from the FBI about an investigation they did into Kavanaugh around when he was um, nominated and and that was all going on. (laughs) And um, the FBI says that under the presidential communications privilege they don't have to give a lot of this info to buzzfeed and they went on to also say that some of this information would be embarrassing and it's unquestionably private so they can hold it back yeah yeah the 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 sort of reaches of the 
of of what we know as in the in the doctrine of like executive privilege is getting very very creative here. Um, yes. Now, I mean, yeah. Let's let's. I mean, I think everyone kind of everyone basically remembers. That's the, what I was giggling about before. Is like it's hard. You don't even have to set up this this situation <laughs> anymore because it was such a big story for so long. That, yeah. Like of course every you know it's but it the was, investigation that they did is germane to this. It so is. like that and people might have forgotten exactly how the contours of that and I mean, went. At so. the risk of belaboring it, yeah. the basics are um, that Kavanaugh went through really contentious nomination process last year and Christine Blasey Ford had accused him of sexually assaulting her in a high school party back in the 80s. He obviously strongly denied that. And so when testimony was being held in Capitol Hill, there was a brokering of the idea that the FBI should do what's called a supplemental background investigation into Kavanaugh. And that's what we're talking about today. So at the time the supplemental was carried out, um, when some of the information came out about that, and obviously we know now Kavanaugh got appointed to the yeah. Supreme Court. Democrats at the time said that the supplemental investigation wasn't thorough. It was like perfunctory. That it, yeah, yeah, that it didn't go deep enough. It didn't interview all the relevant witnesses. Um, there were people left out. A lot of those kind of allegations. So as is um, expected these days when something like this happens and there's a lot of uh, drama surrounding it, a news outlet decides they'll use um, FOIA, a Freedom of Information Act request, mm-hmm. to try to get more details. So that's what BuzzFeed News did. They wanted to get a copy of the final report that was sent to the White House, and it was also sent to the Senate Judiciary Committee. And they wanted to get the the materials that went into that report. So all the interview notes and supplementary documents, yeah. all of the like calls from people giving tips to the FBI, the, the documentation of all of that. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's ever filed a FOIA knows that like there's like you have to really sort of finely hone your request because there's all sorts it's a transparency law that's what it's for but there are all sorts of like carve outs and like escape clauses for the government if they don't want to hand something over but they've used a particularly sort of creative one here which we'll talk a little bit more about yes. how did the actual sort of investigation with their FOIA thing go so they did get some stuff and, yeah. and a substantial amount in some regards they got several thousand pages of documents and I don't know if you remember several months ago things came out about some of the um, uh, public tips about Kavanaugh and how the FBI had categorized them and some mm-hmm. stuff like that yeah. but there were hundreds of other pages that were either heavily redacted or left out entirely And so BuzzFeed sued over that, this Mm -hmm. FOIA lawsuit. Um, And last week, which is why we're talking about it now, the government asked the D.C. Circuit Court to dismiss the case. They say that the FBI's withholding of all that stuff was justified because the material was, quote, unquestionably private and also potentially embarrassing for Kavanaugh. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting – we'll we'll talk about, like, exactly what they argued. But, I mean, is there – and here I was just talking about the different ways that they can sort of not release things under FOIA. But like, where does like the the information being embarrassing fit yeah, into I mean, that rubric? Yeah. Well, because you you know you you think about FOIA and you think about any time you're trying to the government is trying to not release information like the you know classified information comes to mind that you know sensitive things about the functioning of the government come to mind. But this is obviously or, a little bit different or, or national security or yeah. anything like that. There are yeah. lots and lots of exemptions to what can be provided under FOIA laws. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really going to talk about kind of two buckets with this one. One is that presidential communications thing. I'll get into that in just a second. But the privacy one, it's largely designed for information from private citizens, mm-hmm. not um, things about the way that people handle themselves right. in public You've office. interacted with an agency as a private person. Right. That should not be information that can be FOIA'd by, by the media. Yeah, so the DOJ in this dismissal request has some really interesting quotes about their argument here on this privacy side. The first one, 
The character of the information the FBI protected, which is highly personal and could subject Judge Kavanaugh and others to harassment or embarrassment in their private lives, is unquestionably private. Then they went on to say this next bit. The supplemental background investigation was specifically created in response to allegations about alcohol consumption and sexual behavior. Moreover, much of the information relates to Judge Kavanaugh's alleged conduct as a teenager and a young adult, decades before his distinguished career in public service, and does not concern the performance of his public duties. This is interesting because it sort of raises the idea of like a, I don't know, like a, like a, like a transformational test. He was certainly a private person right. at the time that they were at, at the time at the at yeah. the, t- the time frame that they're investigating now he is considerably not a private person he is a very prominent public figure it's also very who sits on the Supreme it's Court. a very complicated uh thing here where if the idea was that the FBI was perfunctory in what they investigated you have to know what they under- uncovered mm-hmm. in the investigation yeah. and and so by withholding that i think there's real questions of yeah, maybe this is private information, and maybe it is embarrassing, but that's the real nature, the key of what we're talking about here. Yeah, yes. and so what's the other – the other one was that it was sort of a more uh, – uh, the executive privilege. Or yeah. The, yeah, so the government says the information is protected by the – it's called the presidential communications privilege, and that's because this information was sent to President Trump. And here's how this – it's a little complicated, but the gist of it is Trump asked the White House counsel – to instruct the FBI to do the supplemental investigation. Right. That's how it got put into motion. Okay. And so the report was then rooted back through those channels, back to the White House Counsel's Office and to President Trump. So that's how you're involving the executive side there. The DOJ said this. Disclosure would inhibit the president's ability to engage in effective communications and decision-making because it would interfere with his ability to seek and obtain candid information regarding judicial nominations. So... That is the argument from the DOJ, and along with those privacy ones we mm-hmm. talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see how the court takes those. It's unclear how they'll weigh this out. But I think um, it's going to be a really complicated and interesting test of how far FOIA can go. We like to end our show with something offbeat, and it is Halloween today. I think we might have a spooky one. We got one more spooky item yeah. before we before we shuffle off. And wouldn't you know it? This morning, I'm riding into riding into work on the subway, and I see just one of my very favorite recurring tweets from our from our co-host Bill Donahue. Oh, from me? Oh, sorry, I, I wasn't paying attention. You guys talking about me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was staring at his phone. He was busy uh, about to tweet some other well, great thing. It's a famed and storied sort of Halloween appropriate legal item, and uh, and I think Bill should tell us about it. Well, it's. It's a it's a spooky story. Uh, it goes <laughs> yes. back to we're gonna we're gonna take you back to 1980s 1990ish Long Island. Great. What could Love be it already. what could be spookier? Where all spooky <laughs> tales really have their have their roots. Uh, Amityville. So uh, it's yeah. wow, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there was a a person was suing over they had uh, they had purchased a house and it later became apparent. They didn't know this going in, but it later became apparent that the house was known as being haunted. Oh, spooks! Uh, blood dripping down the walls. Sure, yeah, you know, specters. Uh, yeah, cabinets Phantoms. opening and uh-huh. closing on their own. That kind of thing. <laughs> so they sued, saying that the seller should have told them that this house <laughs> should have been like you was know, haunted. You know, 
fun fact, a lot of history in this house. People maybe have died here and there are ghosts. So we eventually get to a point where the court has to rule on whether or not, as a matter of law, the house is haunted. Yeah. I love that. That's the good stuff. And they and and they eventually did. They said, look, this this buyer didn't know and the seller did. And so for the purposes and it was well known in the local area that oh, this yeah. house was haunted. You know, whenever I sit down and watch a horror movie, the first thing somebody does when they think their house is haunted, they don't go try to get an exorcist. They don't go to a priest. They just run to the courtroom to try to get a judgment <laughs> that it's legally haunted. Yeah. Whenever I watch a haunted house movie, the first thing I think about is tenant rights. Uh, like, definitely. I mean, I mean that, that, is, that floats to the top of my mind. Sure. Uh, and I'm glad I'm so glad that fun, there is jurisprudence on this. It's a fun thing every... This is the, the second year we've, uh, we've really tweeted this out. It's a fun... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the other one, I found another one this year that was kind of fun. It Ooh, was great. Um, the case name itself is pretty awesome. Uh, Mayo v. Satan and his staff. Yes. <laughs> uh, so a dude unsuccessfully, ultimately weird, uh, <laughs> sued the devil for depriving him of uh, constitutional rights and causing his quote downfall. He sued the. The actual he devil. Sued, well, he sued Satan and his staff. Oh, uh, sure. And sure. now I don't mean his, his you know, a, a powerful walking stick of some kind. Uh, his, his, you minions. Mean his, his minions. His minions, right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Legion. Key, the really, Legion. <laughs> yeah. The really fun thing here was the judge actually sort of humored this a little for a few paragraphs and went into whether or not a federal court would have jurisdiction over the devil. Oh, I imagine they wouldn't. Um, they, the, the key here was that the judge cited a, uh, a, <laughs> a trial in New Hampshire at where Satan um, purportedly had uh, <laughs> initiated a, uh, a mortgage foreclosure against uh, against someone. This is and, amazing. You know, it seems like something he would do. So, And then had uh, defended himself against claims that he was a foreign prince, uh, which I guess is a way that <laughs> some sort of doctrine to say that he wasn't allowed to sue. I think what had actually happened sovereign was, immunities. I'm the, I'm the prince of darkness, Your Honor. <laughs> I believe that uh, – I believe that a uh, – that a – a landlord or a uh, a real estate someone had initi- a bank had initiated a mortgage foreclosure against uh-huh. someone, and then the defendant started referring to them in in court documents as the devil or as Satan, and that's where this sure. judge sort of humorously went into it. But it was inconclusive; it's unclear. But uh, but ultimately, the the devil was not. They were not allowed to sue the devil in uh, in court. So many of these uh, spooky slash satanic suits mm-hmm. are about real estate. That's like. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you I ever mean, dealt with real estate in New York City, it's, you, you, you really uh, yeah. beat me to it. That that in, that in and of itself is very similar to summoning the dark forces and joining their hellish crusade. It is a it is a horror movie. Every moment you're dealing with it, it's true. So, uh, this, this is a good place to leave off. I, I think feel so. like it really is. Yeah. I very much appreciate you bringing those to us. Bill. Of course. And thanks for being with me, Alex. Thank you. I also want to thank our producers Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader. Our contributing reporters this week: Kevin Penton and Matt Fair. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner and Little Glass Men. Our show is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please go ahead and subscribe and leave us a written review. That's what helps other people find Pro Se. If you want to know more about any of the legal developments we've talked about today, check out our website at law360.com slash podcast. Thanks and see you again next week.